Let me echo what has already been said about how excited we are for all of you to be here today. And it is our prayer that the time that you spend here today is going to impact the way in which you live your life tomorrow and the rest of the week. There's so many wonderful things that God is doing in our midst and we are just blessed to be able blessed to be able to be a part of that. So many things that are happening as already been mentioned here. Just want to take a just a couple of minutes to talk about some housekeeping items just to remind you. First, as Sean mentioned, next week is going to be Watts. We are the sermon. That is the time that we get together to remind ourselves how we should be living uh, all year long. But we come together, enjoy a time of communion. Uh, we'll meet together at 9 a.m. By 9.30, we're going to be done. All right, We're going to be finished with what's going to be going on here in this room at nine, by 9.30. And then we're going to be going out across uh, our community to participate in different uh, acts of kindness, service projects that have already been set up and you should have been given a sheet as you came in that listed many of the different projects that we're going to be having and participating in this next week. If you have not already signed up uh, to let people know that, hey, look, I need to, I'm going to be a part of your group, uh, you can do that in the lobby. So please make sure that as you're leaving today, you go and sign up for a, an event. Ask people in your classes that we're going to go to in a few minutes. Say, hey, what are you guys involved in? What are, what are you guys going to be participating in? And then go and, and, and sign up and be a part of that. And, and I've been asked before, look, do, do I have to be a part of, of the East Brainerd Church family to participate in Watt Sunday? No. If you're here today and maybe this is your first time with us and you're hearing that we're going to go out next week and, and serve our community and you say, man, I would love to be able to get in on that, then please go sign up, put your phone number down so we can contact you and give you some specifics about the event, and, and then you come and you be a part. We want you to be a part to do that. Now, some of our people aren't going to be here uh, next week to participate because they are going to Savannah to participate in a half marathon and a full marathon. And so those guys, they're going to be gone. They actually went out yesterday to Orchard Knob Middle School and they joined with other members of our community and helped paint Orchard Knob Middle School, which was really awesome as, as they got together and went out and helped in that way uh, because they, they knew they weren't going to be here because they were going to be in Savannah and said, you know what, we want to participate. And they found out about this event. And so off they went. And um, Aaron Mercer, I want you to come up here just a minute. Come here, buddy. He has no idea I was going to have him do this. I want you to come up here. Uh, Aaron's got on a, a shirt that all of our runners, you're going to be seeing them uh, today around campus. Uh, and he is a great model. I mean, look at this guy, man. He stays in shape. He is fit. Man, you look a lot better than I do. I'm glad you're wearing that and not me. All right. And it says, he guides my steps. And this is the shirt that they're going to be wearing as they are running through uh, Savannah. Now, if I had gone on this trip, I would have gone to the restaurant. So I'm just going to be honest. That's why, that's why I would have went. And I almost did. And then I found out it was Watts. And I was like, well, I can't be gone Watts Sunday. Um, so these guys are going to be going down. And uh, we want to have a, a prayer for them. If you are one of our runners, if you're going to be going, if you would just stand where you are, um, just stand where you are and um, oh you want to make him come up here yeah. oh, all right come on if you're going to be gone next week because you're going to go running come on up here and we want to have a um, we do we want to have a prayer for you so um got some of you that are here come on up she's like why did you do that uh, i know you know there's more there's like 25 of you that are going but yeah come on down one of our um 
One of our purposes here as a congregation is to encourage one another to, to come together, to enjoy one another's company, and to share, share God with one another and to encourage one another. One of our small groups is our running group, and so we have individuals that meet each week, and they go, and, and they run, and they uplift one another, they pray with one another, for one another, and this is something now that they have been planning on and working toward, and so now they're going to go down to Savannah, and this is not just to go and, and to run, this is, this is a spiritual exercise for these guys. And so I appreciate them so much. And like you said, there are so many more that are coming, uh, that are going, that do not want to come up here. The group so that they can join. We need more members. Oh, you need more members. Okay, Run for Fun. That's on that. So that's that. just look on Facebook, Run for Fun. They need more members of their group and you can go and be a part. Male. Male. Oh, need more male members. Okay. Need, need some need some male members. Now I know why Aaron was so bad. It's like, oh, hey, we, we need more people to come out. I get it now. Okay. Um, yeah, um, I'm not going to join you. I'm sorry. Um, but some of these other guys might want to. Hey, let's have a prayer for these um, men, and, men, man, and women. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for the many different types of people that you've brought to our church family. And for the way in which we have been used by you to encourage one another. And I'm thankful for all those who are part of our Run for Fun group and who get together on a weekly basis to encourage each other, to, uh, to share life with one another, and to share their spiritual life with one another. We ask for safety as they are traveling down to Savannah. Safety, of course, during the run and, and on the way back. And I pray that they will be uplifted by the time that they are away together. And I thank you for the service that they gave already, so many of them yesterday, um, and the way in which they have given their lives in service to you already. So thank you for them, and again, your blessings upon them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Guys and gals, thanks so much. So we've got that going on. Tonight is going to be our fall festival, and I appreciate all of those who came already in character this morning to, to welcome you uh, as you were coming in. Thanks so much for that. Uh, what was not mentioned about the fall festival, there's going to be food. Okay, there's going to be food tonight, so come for the hamburgers and the hot dogs. You can see in the glory, praise, and honor what it is that we need for you to bring uh, as well. But make sure you're coming for the food. Bring your trunks, bring your treats, and uh, bring the kiddos. It's going, to be, it's going to be a great time. Speaking of the glory, praise, and honor, Every once in a while, we like to do things with our glory, praise, and honor to frustrate the engineers who are part of our congregation. Uh, we printed the glory, praise, and honor backwards this week. And so if you were trying to tear off your attendance little card area, you could not do that at the perforation. And I, I heard some of you engineers, as you were lining it up on the edge of the book, right, and you were having to make sure that everything was folded just right. Then I heard some of you who um, engineering is so far from your lifestyle because you were just ripping. You just tore it. But yeah, we did. We printed the glory praise and honor backwards just to see who would notice. Some of you noticed very quickly. We appreciate you being able to um, catch up on that. And so if you were not able to tear it off because you just like the perforation and you just could not take the jagged edges, then still fill it out. Take your completed glory, praise, and honor without even being torn. And you can leave it at our Connection Center as you exit today. And we would greatly, greatly appreciate that. Sure would. Um, the time of life that my family and I are in right now is one of those times where uh, so many of you have already experienced this. 
Uh, we have a junior in high school who is preparing for college, and so that means we're in the process of looking at different schools and trying to decide, okay, what direction perhaps is Emily going to, um, to go in, and, and so that means college visits. Right? And so everybody's talking about, well, where, where is Emily going to go to college and, and what schools are you visiting? And, and some of you parents, you're in this same process. And others of you, you've already been through this. You, you, kind of, you kind of know the deal. And so we're trying to make a list and check it twice and kind of see how it all works. Now, in this whole thing, I have discovered, and, and it might have just been me, but I was a very, I guess, strange high school student. As I was preparing to go to college, I did not take a college visit. Right? I didn't do that. Didn't take any, I didn't take a college visit. I decided that I was going to go to Auburn, and, and so I found out what requirements it took to get into Auburn, found out what the ACT score was, and so I took the ACT and I, I made high enough, and <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I took the ACT one time. That was it. Okay, got high enough to get in, I'm good. Never went on campus except for football games. Had no idea where any academic buildings were. Didn't know of all the different majors that they had. Oh, I had gotten one of those books that list all the different majors that the school offered, and I kind of looked through, and I thought, hmm, I've got a cousin that married a pharmacist. I think they make money. I'll major in pharmacy. That sounds great. <laughs> And so I received a, a letter back from Auburn saying, congratulations, you've been accepted. And then I had to pick a couple of, uh, from a couple of dates to go during the summer for their summer orientation. And I would register for my classes and, and actually get to see the academic side, you know, of the school. And, and so I went down and registered for classes. And, and then I went in the fall and showed up and I didn't know a soul. I didn't know anybody. And I'm hearing all this stuff now that, that students go through and, and all the planning and everything that goes in. And I'm like, hey, look how great I turned out. I didn't do none of that. That's awesome. Now, kids, I would not advise you to go down the track that I went down, right? Um, now that uh, I know Melissa Moore, counselor for Boy Buchanan School, sitting in here going, Chris, will you just please be quiet? Stop saying this right now. Um, ACT, ACT, take it, take it, take it, right? Um, but that was that was the way that I that was the way that I approached college. I was just going to go to Auburn and I was going to enjoy whatever happened there and I was going to get a degree and then go on with life and and that's how everything was that's how everything was going to be. And yet here's the deal. Looking back now, I realize that I didn't go to Auburn necessarily to get a degree. That wasn't why my path led me there. I truly believe that God led me to Auburn in order that I might learn about grace at the feet of campus minister Jim Brinkerhoff and so that I could meet my wife, Miss Tanya. That's why I ended up at Auburn. That's why everything failed fell together the way that it did, even though I had very little planning in putting it all together. That's why I didn't think about applying to any other schools. Because God needed me to get to Auburn to teach me about grace and so that I could meet my wife. And looking back on it all now, it all seems surreal. 
because in the moment I thought exact, I knew exactly why I was going to college and what I was going to do and, and what the end result was going to be. Now I bring all this up because I really feel like that oftentimes it's the same way with the subject of grace. We approach a subject like this and we talk about it for an entire year. And we kind of think that we know what we're getting into. And we think that we know what the benefits that we are going to get from it. So we come up on the intersection of grace and me and we run head on into grace and we think, all right, I've got this. I understand it. I, I, think, I, I think I get where we're coming from. But one of the things I hope that you have noticed during our study all this year is that grace is much deeper perhaps than we ever realized. That there is so much more depth to the subject and there's so much more nuance and it covers so much more than we actually really realize. When we first come up on the intersection of grace and me, we slam on our brakes because we see the big billboard that says, Jesus saves me. And we realize that, that Jesus came to this world to save sinners. And perhaps that could mean that he could actually save me. And we said that's one of the main truths that we need to understand right off the bat when it comes to the subject of grace. That Jesus came into this world to save sinners. I am a sinner. Therefore, Jesus came to save me. And it's one of those celebration moments that Joe was talking about. It is one of those moments where you just go, woohoo! It's like, why are you so excited at church? It's because I'm saved and the grace of God has been poured out on me and I'm no longer subject to my sinfulness and I'm no longer subject to the condemnation that comes from all my wrong choices. It's like, woo! I want everybody to know and people are like, what is wrong? Nothing is wrong. Everything is right. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you excited? Why don't you feel this way? That's what gets poured over us. That's what happens to us when we first pull up to the intersection of grace and me when we realize that Jesus came to save sinners. And then we go a little deeper. We start to travel through that intersection and we kind of get caught in that roundabout where we just keep going round and round trying to decide if God's grace is actually able to sustain us or not. All right, great. So the grace of God saves me, but can it actually sustain me? And can it keep me saved, so to speak? In the midst of, in the midst of those times where I struggle with my obedience and I, I don't get everything right. And then when I realize I can't get everything right. And when I realize, you know what, I'm going to die wrong about something. Whether it be a belief or whether it be a practice. I'm not going to be able to be right whenever I die and I come face to face with God. Is grace going to be able to sustain me during those times? And we have a big argument with grace on that subject. And we talked about it last week, how it's a difficult conversation to have as we go round and round in that roundabout saying, is it me or is it Jesus? Is it me or is it Jesus? Who do I put my faith in when it comes to sustaining me through life? We realize grace is much, it's much deeper than we thought that it was. We've said at the intersection of grace and me, we learn that grace saves us and that grace does sustain us. And this morning, I want us to talk about the idea that grace also shepherds us. It shepherds us. Because when we leave the intersection of grace and me, and we continue on our journey, 
It is grace that is leading us to the final destination. Now we think we know what that final destination is. Just like I thought I knew when I was going to Auburn exactly how things were going to turn out and exactly what was going to happen and exactly why I went. And yet now I realize, wait, it's so much more. And it's the same with grace. Because you thought grace was given just to save you. I thought grace was given just to sustain me. And yet God said, will you let it shepherd you as well and follow where it leads? Open your Bibles if you would. Find in your New Testament, Titus. Titus chapter 3. I want us to read something together here that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of his cohorts. And he's writing on the subject of grace. And if there's any proponent of grace in Scripture, it's Paul. If there's anyone who says, look, you were saved by what God did, not by what you do, it is Paul. But yet Paul has a deeper understanding of grace and he wants to make sure that Titus understands it so he can share it. And he wants to make sure that you also understand it this morning as well. Titus chapter 3, look at verse 4. It says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And we've been there. We've talked about that. All right? That the grace of God, it saves us and it sustains us, not because of who we are, who God is. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. It has saved us. It is sustaining us. It gives us a hope where we don't have to be worried right here and right now about what's going to happen in the future. There is this eternal life that we have that we're experiencing and that we'll experience even more fully in the future. He says, this is what the message is. This is what has happened to you. And so he continues in verse 8. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things. Well, why? Why talk about grace? Why talk about how that grace saves you and that grace sustains you? He says, because I want you to understand that it also shepherds you. Stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Do you see the picture that Paul is trying to paint here? Do you get what he's trying to share with you? Doing good is the expected outcome of grace. He said, but wait a minute. I, I thought the outcome of grace was me being one with God. No, that is a means to an end. It is a means to an end where God pours out his grace in order to bring you back into communion with him, in order to get this oneness so then you and I can participate in what it is that God is already going around doing. And doing good is the expected outcome of grace. Because when we have been saved by God's grace, we're going to share that grace. That's the expectation of Scripture. That's the natural progression. It is not that you experience grace so that you can just go, Hallelujah, what a Savior, and then go about your life doing whatever it is that you want to do. You and I, we have been saved for a purpose. 
And that purpose is to bless the lives of others. That purpose is to redeem the humanity that we see around us. That purpose is to engage and to wade into and to walk right into the midst of all the filth and the, the mud and the mire that is present in this sinful world and shine the light of God and say this is who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to do. Because when you've been saved by God's grace, the expectation is that you will share that grace. Now, maybe you heard me say just a minute ago that your salvation is a means to an end. And you're like, wait a minute. I just don't know if I, I jive with that. Well, let me let Paul explain it to you this way. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. After he got finished saying, look, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of your works so that no one can boast. He says, you know what? You and I, we're God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to what? What does it say? To do good works. Now some of you think that you have been created in Christ Jesus to worship. Some of you think that you have been created in Christ Jesus so that you can be saved. But he says, look, you've been created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works. And notice, these good works were actually prepared in advance for us to do. Because God had a plan. And his plan was always that his people would be brought back into communion with him so that his people could share in the good that God was going around doing. Take your mind back to the very beginning. Think about Genesis chapter 1. Each and every day, something is made. Something exists that did not exist before. And at the end of that day, do you remember what God always says? It was good. God has been doing good from the very beginning. Satan and his plan is to try to interrupt the goodness of God. And he has done a great job of it. All you have to do is turn on the television, pull up your Twitter feed. Many of you have been keeping up with the events that have taken place in Pittsburgh, the events that have been going on in Washington and Florida, California, across the country this week. Law enforcement updates, it seemed like, are coming out at a feverish pace as the result of Satan and his desire to squelch the goodness of God is being broadcast all over the world. We look and we say, what's the answer to that? How do you, how do you combat that? What is it? And there's been all kinds of reasons given as to motives for all the different acts that we have seen just in this very week alone. And yet all the different motives that I've seen have so far missed the, missed the point. Because the motive of every single thing that's happened, it isn't about political rhetoric. It is not about where you were born. It's all about the fact that Satan is trying to take away the goodness of God. And it's up to the people of God to stand up in the face of that evil and say, this is not going to be how, it's not going to be how we're going to live. It's not going to be how we're going to treat one another. Instead, Peter would write to Christians and say, each of you should use whatever gift that you have received to serve others and notice as faithful stewards of what? God's grace. 
You've been given God's grace so that you might be able to go and share that grace. And serve the people that are around you. To go out and to do good to those that you come in contact with. Paul would continue writing to Titus. He would say in chapter 4 and verse 14, Look, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. They got to devote themselves. Because look, when, when grace is stressed in the church, people are going to get blessed by the church. You need to understand that. But doing good is going to have to become a pursuit. It's got to be something that we work on. Because look, naturally, we are not good people. We are not good people. We give in to our desires, those evil desires that we have. Paul, when writing to Titus, we started in verse 4 of chapter 3. Before that, he said in verse 3, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Is that not what we see going on right now in our world? Nothing has changed but the answer to that, Paul says, is the kindness and love of God presented to us in his grace and mercy so that we can go about doing the things that are good. But it's got to be a pursuit. It's got to be something that we stress. It's got to be a conviction that says, you know what? Christ's disciples are supposed to display Christ's character, not just in their obedience as to whether or not they are acting as righteous people, but when it comes to the way in which they live their lives and the good that they go about sharing. It's got to be something that we pursue on a regular basis. It also has to be a passion that we have. We have to be passionate about this idea of going about and doing those things that are good. In Acts chapter 2, we're told that those who were the first followers of Christ devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to communion, to prayers. And we've talked about that before in Bible classes, in worship times. You've heard that particular passage from Acts 2. And, and maybe you yourself have been told, look, you need to devote yourselves to the very same things. And maybe that's how you have lived your Christian life, devoting yourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Paul says, look, church, there's something else that you haven't been told. Somewhere it got messed up in the translation, but there's something else you need to be devoting yourselves to. You need to devote yourselves to doing the things that are good. You need to devote yourself to doing the things that make a difference outside the walls. You need to devote yourselves to those things that make a difference in the life of your neighbors. And it must become a passion for you. Where you live for this. And this is what you want to be known for. And this is what drives you. It's what gets you up early in the morning. It's what keeps you up late at night. Because you want to be involved in what God is already doing. Reclaiming this world from the evil that is present. As I mentioned, when grace is stressed in the church, people get blessed by the church. You say, why are we talking about grace so much all year long? Yes, I want you to understand that grace can save you. And yes, I want you to know that grace can sustain you. But I also want grace to shepherd us still as a congregation so that others can be blessed. Because that is the purpose of the redemption that has been poured out on us through Christ Jesus. It is not just to get you to a saved state to be right with God. It is not about getting to heaven. 
It's not about pie in the sky when you die by and by. You have been redeemed in order to be an instrument of God's blessing. To bless other people. And to be a part of the good that God is doing. You understand that, right? You understand how that God is in the midst of you right now. He's working in your neighborhood. He's, he's at work in your community. He's at work in this city. You understand that, that God is, is working in your place of business, that, that, that he's working in, in all the halls of Congress, that, that he's working all around this world, engaged in acts of goodness. And what he is asking his children to do are just to open their eyes and to participate in what he is already doing. Not to decide if the right group is doing it. Not to decide who it is that's responsible and where's the money going and what's taking place. He's saying if my people will rise up and live in a way that honors me through their goodness, then good things are going to happen. Because we're going to be a part of the very work that God is doing. So here's what I want us to do. I've got a few scriptures I think that are going to start going up here on the screen here in just a minute. And um, a few of them I believe are going to have, uh, you're going to see some black um, backgrounds with some white letters and just like this right here. And that, that used to stand out and be really blue. It's not as blue as um, it should be right there. Okay. But if you can tell, if you can see that difference, when we get to something that's blue, I want all of you to join me as we read this. And here's why I'm going to do this. What we're going to find out here in Acts chapter 4, these early Christians apparently took to heart the idea that they had been saved to be a part of God's goodness. And it showed up. Because they came together, they were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. So say it with me. But they shared everything they had. It's like, why would they do that? Look at the next passage here. It says, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. God's grace was working in them. And what did it cause? All that... Say it with me. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. They got it. Those first followers of Christ understood. They had been saved for a purpose. And it wasn't to sit around and wait for the coming of the Lord. It wasn't to purify themselves and keep out all iniquity. It was to go to the places that were dirty and to be a cleaning agent. It was to be light in the darkness. And to make sure that the people of God understood this, every single New Testament writer would focus somehow in some way on the fact that the people of God were to be about the goodness of God. Now I shared this earlier this week with a class that I'm teaching on Wednesday night. And someone came and said, look, you've you got to tell this to people on Sunday. You've got to tell people about this. This is good stuff. And so what we're about to do, we're going to go through now every single letter that was written in the New Testament. And you're going to see a passage of scripture and you're going to see the focus. And hopefully a picture should begin to evolve. Now the passages that I've already referred to, we're going to skip those letters so it's not to be redundant. But you're about to see something that I think is just going to boom. At least it did for me this week. It was really awesome. All right, you ready? Here we go. 
If you see the blue, read it. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Look at the next one. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. That's in Corinthians. And if they didn't get it the first time, hey, there's a second letter. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now Paul's going to go on to the Galatians and say the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. What about when he writes to the Ephesians? Well, we've already talked about this, but I wanted to put it up one more time because it's such a great passage. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Philippians, is there a verse for that? You better believe it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. What about Colossians? He says, look, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Why? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Thessalonians, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strives to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Again, he wanted to make sure they got it. He sent it to him a second time. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. He writes to Timothy, a fellow preacher, and he says, look, I know that there in your Christian community, you've got some widows that the church is taking care of. Some of their families are taking care of them. You're putting together a list to make sure that no one is left out. Well, I want you to make sure that when you put these widows on the list, they, they meet a certain criteria. He says, so no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Philemon, have you, anybody ever read Philemon? It's like a page in your Bible, right? It's like a page and you read it, it's like, why is that there? Look what is said as Paul talks to Philemon about the way in which he has lived his life and then goes on to talk about the way in which he is to treat a fellow believer in Christ even though they are not at the same social scale. He says, I hear about your love for all of his holy people. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And I know that you know this verse from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. James would write to Christians and he would say, look, you need to have your faith visible in the actions that you are living. So, he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, hey, go in peace and keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Peter says, look, Christians, you've got to live such a good life among the pagans that they're going to accuse you to do wrong, but when they do, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He says, look, I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. So you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Now John is going to write letters three different times at least that we have to churches. And he's going to focus this idea of good deeds and goodness and he's going to center it all around the idea of loving one another. He says that this is the command. 
to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. His next letter. I'm not writing you a new command, but one that we've had, look, from the very beginning. He says, this is what it's always been. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. He says, dear friends, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. And then finally you get to Revelation. Jesus speaks there in chapters 2 and 3 to seven churches of Asia. Maybe you've studied that before in different classes. Do you know that five out of the seven churches he will look at and he will examine them. And here's what he's going to say. Say it with me. I know your deeds. Why? Why does Jesus care? Why is he looking at the deeds of the Christians? Because he knows, look. I sacrificed my life so that you could be about my work. I sacrificed my life so that you could be about the goodness of God. And now I'm looking and I'm seeing the way that you're living your life and I'm seeing the way you're so inward focused and I'm seeing how you're so selfish and I'm seeing how you're not focused on those who are around you. And he says, I know your deeds and you're not measuring up because this is not why you were saved. And so a question. We've already asked if you believe in grace. And we've asked if we trust grace. But I want you to ask yourself today if you're following grace. Are you following where grace is leading? Are you following where grace is leading? If you are, then it means that you are impacting the lives of those who are around you. If you are, it means that that grace is, is being shared regularly. You know, we have watts that we engage in each and every year. And as I mentioned, it's something that we do in order to, in order to remind us the type of people that we are supposed to be. You see, we engage in things like watch together as a group and snack packs as a group. But those should all be springing out of the goodness that's taking place already in our individual lives. Church, you don't have to wait for an event here in order to do good. You have been saved so that you might do good wherever it is that you are. I want to close with a thought from the book of Acts. Peter went, to, Peter went to the house of Cornelius to tell him about the good news of Jesus. And as he begins to tell all the Gentiles who would listen about what it is that God had done, he says, I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts every nation or in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news and peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea how that beginning in Galilee and after the baptism of John was preached how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And this is what Peter says. And how he went around doing good. How do you encapsulate the life of Jesus? Jesus. 
you don't talk about the life of Jesus and say, well, he didn't do this and he didn't do that. And I, I know he didn't go there. And I know he didn't talk to those people. And he, he didn't participate in that kind of thing. Now, when you talk about the life of Jesus, you talk about what he did. What he was involved in. The people that he reached out to. The people he ate with. Those that he went and touched. And it's because of that then that Jesus would say, you know what? The person who believes in me, the person who believes in me will continue the good works that I'm doing. And he or she, they're going to do even greater things. He was looking down the pipe to you right here today at the East Brainerd Church saying, guess what? You are going to do some amazing things because you're going to continue what it is that I am doing. Because that's why you have been saved. So that you too might go around doing those things that are good. You see, and you just thought that grace was here to save you. You just thought that grace was to sustain you. And yet now you find out it has a whole other purpose. Your salvation is a means to an end so that God might shepherd you and you be able to participate in the goodness that he is taking care of. I had no idea what I was getting into when I went to Auburn back in 1992. I thought I understood it all. I thought I understood exactly how the whole college process worked. And now I look and say, oh, so that's why, Lord, you wanted me to go. That's why you wanted me there. That's why everything fell together the way that it did. So that I might learn about grace and so that I might meet Miss Tanya. That was the purpose. So why has God brought you here today? Maybe you thought you knew. Maybe you thought you knew it was going to be all about somehow singing some songs and praying some prayers. You thought it was going to be all about passing some trays. All about studying some Bible together. And now you're getting a different picture. God has brought you here to save you, to sustain you, and to shepherd you so that you might truly experience what it means to be one with him. So today as we conclude and sing our praises together, if you need to come this morning rushing to go, Woo! God is going to be my Savior. Then we're going to celebrate with you as you're baptized into Christ. And if maybe you need to come this morning and say, You know what? I've been trusting in myself for way too long to sustain me in my obedience. And I need to start trusting in grace. And we'll celebrate with you. And maybe you need to come this morning saying, Hey, I need a Watts project. I need something that, that I can be a part of to help train me better in my own personal life to live out the grace of God. And maybe you're going to, while we sing, not come forward, but you're going to go to the back and you're going to sign up right here and right now to participate in something that's going on. Friends, God is doing something wonderful in this place. He's doing something wonderful in this town. He's doing something wonderful in this country. He's doing something wonderful in this world. It has nothing to do with the people that you think it has to do with, but everything to do with his grace. Will you follow where it leads? Let's stand and sing.